I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Music in My Life with me, Laura Wright, the show where we talk about the music we love so much and our relationship with that music and the role it plays in our life. What is it about music that taps into our emotions and why does it make us feel a certain way? Today's guest is Ebony Rainford Brent, an English cricket commentator and a former professional cricketer. She was the first black woman to play cricket for England and during her playing career she captained the Surrey women's team and was part of the winning World Cup cricket squad from 2009 where England beat New Zealand in the final. In recent years she's been a pundit on the hugely popular show Test Match Special. She's a motivational speaker and she now has her own podcast called The Art of Success. As well as working with various charities, she now also sits on the Surrey Management Board and acts as chair for the recent Afro-Caribbean Engagement Programme, which was launched earlier this year, which is actually now going to become an independent charity with a huge amount of funding for the next three years. So she's a ridiculously busy lady. And we were just saying that actually, rather than uh, lockdown life taking a, a slower turn, it's actually sped up for you, hasn't it, Ebony? And welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? It is. Yeah, thank you for having me and a lovely intro. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's forcing us to adapt, right? Because at first I thought, I mean, I don't know about you, I did have a couple of weeks when we didn't know what was going on. Um, but then I suppose if you want to keep the wheels spinning, you've just got to adapt. So all our broadcasting went to home broadcasting. All our programs with kids has gone to Zoom and, you know, all these sort of things. So actually there becomes a lot of work to do to just readjust life so um a mixture of stress a mixture of pressure but also a mixture of some joyful moments so yeah fun times that we're all in at the moment definitely and obviously as well we should mention you know we're recording this a few days prior to you know the UK's second lockdown if you like um I know we don't want to talk about sort of the negatives or dwell too much on what's going on but how are you feeling about it all you know are there things that you're doing to kind of cope with uh, the change in the pace of life at the moment yeah I've, I've made a lot of adjustments well I actually moved um between the two because I was predicting that we'd have a second wave and I literally just wanted more light um in in the building I've just got a bit more space just in the sense that I can exercise at home more I'm not the most disciplined when it comes to exercise <laughs> um I know you you like your fitness don't you but I've got my weights now set up everywhere you know my spin bike um so rather than going I suppose letting COVID get the body the wrong way hopefully I'll come out a little bit fitter. So yeah, I've made changes like that. Um, and I think we've all just, we're learning to live on Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I feel like I spent a lot of time on this. So I'm ready. I think the first time was a shock. This time I'm a little bit more uh, looking forward to it and it's winter now. So 
we can kick back. And it's funny, actually, you say there as well with, you know, a little bit more light. It's so true, isn't it? Like the darker kind of evenings now and, and the mornings are a little bit tougher, I'm finding as well, to get up and about. And and then, you you know, you mentioned as well exercise and, and having that equipment around you. Obviously, being a former professional cricketer, when I've had the pleasure of performing at event uh, cricket matches over the years, I've always seen the cricketers playing more football than cricket in the warm-up. Uh, like, <laughs> tell me about why it seems that cricketers seem to really enjoy just a very relaxed style warm-up yeah well I think I think there is something about a lot of cricketers wish they were other good at other sports as well so many always say they wish they were footballers I loved football as a kid and so you kind of um you just find the joy of just running around and feeling free um yeah so you're right it is something that uh, I think it's a lot of people who like I say want to be another another sports star of, of another side. Although a lot of people say they want to be cricketers. I feel like most cricketers want to be footballers. And then um, I suppose just warming up as well. I do, it can get intense cricket. You know, it's a sort of game you could go out there, snick off the first ball and be back and sit there for hours watching the game. So I think there is that something of just trying to make it as fun as possible before it all kicks off. Yeah, that's so true because it's, you know, the only sport in that sense that can literally go on for days. And how do you, you know... For days. Yeah, for days. <laughs> how do you... I mean, I remember my only experience of that was singing at one of the test matches and because of the rain that had stopped play, I just was waiting and I got so nervous about singing because I just didn't know when that was going to happen. So how, how did you, when you were playing, how did you cope with that? Did you find sort of solace in your teammates or what, how was it for you kind of preparing for those sort of things? Yeah, I would say it was one of my biggest challenges actually with cricket was, um, you know, I'm quite an excitable character generally as in I just always kind of on a high and then you have to learn to manage your emotions. So, you know, I started actually music becomes quite important in changing rooms. You know, so many will go into their zone and I had different playlists, which would take me into different places. If I needed to get up, I had an up playlist. If I need to get down, it'd be much more sort of chill soul stuff. Um, and then, yeah, music in the background, lots of card games. It's, it's a weird game where, like you say, you could be revved up to perform, the rain comes out, and then you could just sit there for hours. So definitely not the easiest um, easiest thing to be a part of, but equally, um, you know, it, it teaches you other skills, I think, which is about managing emotions and always trying to be ready to perform when you're called upon. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, in terms of this year as well, am I right in thinking cricket was, it was one of the first sort of sports back on our screens, wasn't it? And what, what was that like yeah. for you kind of being part of that and, and how, how did everyone approach it? And was it, you know, did you feel really lucky to be part of that? Because I know myself being someone who loves sport was just so desperate to see live sport on television you know something <laughs> to keep our spirits lifted did you feel a bit of responsibility with that yeah it was massive I mean you know we were the, so I, I worked on the first um game back globally since pretty much everything locked down so um England played West Indies and we had to go into this whole sort of biosecure bubble with as you can imagine loads of testing and it was like a hospital and all living on site so that we they chose grounds with hotels where our room was pretty much next to the commentary box and that was as far as we were allowed to go um, but I would say so many things. One, the response from the public was incredible because you could sense that feeling of um, desiring that entertainment and that, um, you know, that that sort of entertainment coming into your household just to provide a bit of escapism yeah. and a bit of freedom. 
Um, you know, for us, I would say it was actually quite hard work in terms of the conditions. I know the players struggled, but what we were always conscious of and reminded ourselves is one, how lucky we were to be working, working in something that we love and two, you know, giving something back to a lot of people who were at that point definitely stuck at home. So it was a, it was a really unique experience, um, you know, nearly sort of three to four months in the bubble with a couple of breaks, but it was, um, it was intense, but it was worthwhile, I think in hindsight for what it did for the sporting world and the sporting community. Yeah, definitely. And, and for people who are listening, who don't know as well, um, tell me and and everyone how you found cricket, how, how it came into your life. (laughs) Yeah. Cricket. Um, God, I, I mean, mine's kind of a potluck journey really, because, um, there's not, you don't really get many cricketers from the inner cities, um, at all. Um, you tend to come from sort of slightly more suburban or leafier areas just because of the facilities of, um, you know, cricket grounds, etc. Uh, so mine was a bit of luck. An organization came into my primary school and I was about 10. I had no experience of cricket, didn't like it. Didn't, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> I just kind of thought it was a bit alien. Um, and an amazing coach, it was kind of like an inner city state school program, just trying to find some um, sort of engagement and motivation. And I got talent scouted, basically. I hit a ball um, and that was it. I had three older brothers, so I think I was quite sort of into my sport anyway. I, like loved football, 24-7 basketball. We were always playing. So there was a kind of natural sporting ability. And that was it. I was plucked and kind of taken out from that world where, you know, a lot of young people continued to play, but played street cricket. I kind of got a lady called Jenny Washtrack who became my mentor, pretty much got me into junior Surrey and then I was junior England. That's it. So once you're in, you're in, but it was just such a, a big gap from getting from, you know, that world into the sort of cricketing structure. So a bit of luck. Um, but that moment, that one time of hitting a ball has changed my life. So it's incredible to know that you can have that sort of um, fate, really. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? That one moment and then literally just completely changed the trajectory of things. And you mentioned as well that, you know, in a city, schools wouldn't have necessarily had that opportunity. And is that part of what you're working on now with this Afro-Caribbean engagement programme? Because it sounds really exciting. And I was reading about it. It's a very recent thing as well. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, massively. So I'm kind of using my journey really and to, to, to help try and break this cycle. What we're seeing is a decline, you know, for the black British cricketers in particular, there's been a decline of 75%. Um, and for a lot of underrepresented groups, that includes white working class, etc. Um, you know, South Asian, British South Asian heritage communities, we're just seeing those numbers dwindle. So um, using my experience as the first black woman, I decided that we wanted to just change uh, the black community's narrative. Um, and realizing that, first of all, access is a big socioeconomic issue for our game. You know, young people in inner cities and especially, you know, some of the more challenging areas don't have the infrastructure, the coaching. There's no cricket club um, in some of the, these areas um, and there's no talent ID. So you're just getting a kind of a hole, a desert of activity. So really what we're trying to do is a few things. One is um, to go in and start putting some infrastructure, some community programs in place. Then the talented ones, we're taking them out and really kind of trying to accelerate them. We know there's talent in all these communities, but we need to invest in them. And then finally, we're doing a lot of work, uh, finding coaches from those communities and volunteers and building them up. So we've, we've been amazing. Sport England have given us over half a million 
of funding, which is allowing us to set up as an independent charity. Um, we have a lot of ambitions. I think some of them really is just to see these young people thrive because I know, you know, communities like that and where I grew up, sometimes the, the, the access and the opportunities aren't there for you to become and fulfill your potential. So we're looking at not just the cricketing ability, but we're looking at how do we know if one of them has music as a love? Can we broker some relationships? What if uh, someone wants to become a physio? Can we broker that? You know, working in the world of broadcasting, can we get them some internships? So we're bringing them in through cricket, but also seeing if we can help provide some wider um, support for them to to fulfil areas for them. So yeah, we've been really lucky. I mean, Sport England have gone all in. Half a million is is a lot of money, especially during COVID. But I think they can see our ambition, and we've seen really early signs of success already. So um, yeah, something I'm so proud of. I think it's you know of all the the work I've done, whether it's in cricket or playing or broadcasting, this would mean so much more to open up doors for for younger people who don't get the opportunities and access. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting you say that as well. Like I can hear in your voice you're so proud of it and it's so lovely I think when you know you're in and out of the the professional kind of um world that you have played cricket in but you're still part of that world and and now this is like a legacy if you like and I think that's where things get really exciting when you're someone who it works in sort of a performance-based um environment because really then when you feel like you can make that difference or you can inspire you know a younger generation I think that's where it does get really exciting um to be able to make a change and I obviously you know wish you the best of luck with it it's so exciting um Let's talk a little bit about music. So you mentioned already music was mm. a big part of, you know, something that you'd have in the changing rooms and something that you might hype you up before a game or kind of chill you out, you know, but in terms of your over the course of your life, have you, has it been a constant, you know, source of inspiration? For you? Yeah. Has it always been there? Yeah. I don't know. My mum's uh, Jamaican. So my mum came over when she was a teenager and sort of, um, West Indians love their music, you know, reggae um, and stuff like that. And so my, actually my mum had quite a, a mixture of tastes. So as young as I can remember, like half the living room, we had quite a big living room, was just packed with vinyls. Oh, and I love that. My mum's joy. Yeah, she loved it. I mean, she would have some classical music from, you know, 1800s through to, to reggae music. So her joy was just like putting on, we couldn't touch the vinyl collection. Right, that was, something that was worth, out, worth off saying. <laughs> Uh, off limits. I don't know about you, but my mum was not having it. Um, <laughs> but the joys were just watching, like everyone would dance, um, you know, just constant dancing. And um, that would spread, you know, our street was quite full of um, lots of different background, you know, heritage from people who might have come from South Asia or some people who've come from the Mediterranean, you know, obviously all British, but kind of had that difference. So the music would just kind of flow. And one week, one day it'd be sort of Bollywood style music. And then you had West Indian. So I, I think I was just, it's in the DNA, it's in the blood to use music as a, um, a go-to for every single emotion that you want. Um, you know, we've had tough times. I remember when we lost my brother, there was a range of songs that kind of started going through the household there, which, um, you know, they stick with you as well. So, um, it's really powerful. Music has meant so much, and um, I don't think there's a better a better medium for release than that. So it started as early as you I can think about, really, just that that inputting of of music into the brain. Yeah, and I think you're right. It, it also is sort of I always talk about the fact that music, if it's a particular song, just gives you that permission to feel a certain way and just be in that in that kind of emotion for as long as you need, and then the music can change, and then that can kind of bring you 
away from that emotion in a way that doesn't feel abrupt it's you know the music takes its course and it sort of I don't know it sort of takes away the control as well which can be something that we need from time to time um and you you mentioned dancing there as well I think we should jump into this first song then because (laughs) I feel like with any (laughs) James Brown song that the dancing is just as important as the singing um so talk to me about this first song this is a song that always cheers you up it's James Brown's Cold Sweat Yeah, I love this song. So I play drums um, and I think this was the first song that my drum teacher played to me, who, which sent me down a deeper rabbit hole. I already knew about James Brown, but Cold Sweat for me, um, I don't know, is everything from the funk James Brown and just his freedom of vocal expression um, and then the beat. I I just think this, this era of music, if I could go back to a time, it'd be this. So James Brown, Cold Sweat, that's exactly um, my happy go-to get up funky song. And you play, you said, you mentioned that you played drums. Was that something that you always wanted to do? Did you kind of, you, were you interested in being a performer before, you know, you found cricket? Yes. I think if I could live my life again and choose another path, it would be to be a pro drummer. So I, I, you know, uh, anyone who sees on my Instagram, I'm always just playing around on the drum kit. But when I was 15 or so, um, I used to always be banging on tables and um, one of my teachers said to me, you should meet the drum teacher. And I met them and they gave me like a mini scholarship. And I, in a short time, I did grade two and then I did grade seven or eight, I think like with within no time, like just, I just, you know, I just jumped from one to the other. So I could pick it up quickly, but I never as a kid, because of my sport, really invested time in it. So bought myself an electric kit. Uh, a few years ago just to get back into it and and James Brown cold sweat is is a regular revolver on that on that <laughs> I love that so cool and did you buy what the electric one so it didn't piss off the neighbors presumably <laughs> yeah exactly I think yeah well I do I mean you still do get banging on doors I've had to learn to put these um things on it which stop but I've got an, I've got a proper kit but it rarely sees the light of day so um yeah I, I wish if I followed your path sometimes more gone down the music front because I mean, music's just cool, isn't it? It's a bit cooler than anything else, I think. Oh, well, I know it has its ups and downs. I agree with you. But I mean, (laughs) I'd say there's there's a lot to cricket that's pretty cool as well. And I have to say, I didn't know a lot about the sport before I started singing for the the women's team. And I felt so proud. And I think, you know, you've got such an an amazing community there as well. Um, But I mean, let's let's have a little listen to some of this track before we talk a little bit more about it. So this is some of James Brown's Cold Sweat. so good oh my god I'm dancing I, yeah, I, I was doing a little <laughs> I'm actually on I'm on it at the moment <laughs> I love it and I do you know what as well it, it's things about this song that, that just make me even more amazed about the I don't know what it is I mean it's released in 1967 and they recorded it in one take with one microphone like I just find that I think really yeah, like how music has changed between then and now and how when you record a track now it can be literally picked apart note by note and and 
you know, people will be in separate rooms recording at different times in different time zones. But this is like, this is just it in one performance, you know, and that's how good he was. And that's how good his band was. And, and if you watch any of the the videos, you know, that are still around on the internet as well, it's so infectious. Like you say, you were just dancing there. Do you, I don't know whether you agree, but I just feel like that funk genre is infectious when you listen to it. Oh man, it's so many things. And as I was listening just there, the bass line, um, I, I love that it's just kind of, you know, you've got a bit of a walking bass and then it just goes all over the place. Um, I don't know. And also, you know, I don't know that I listen to that and I just get emotional, like happy emotional because also the other stuff to, to take into account around then is that the history of what was going on for the African-American community and, and those musical artists with like such genius were breaking through and across into different markets you know so you James Brown didn't just relate to the African Americans he started to inspire so many people of different backgrounds and I think that actually moved towards kind of a integration really so I don't know he's just genius in that music and to be able to record that level I mean I've I've tried and play that there's a in the actual sort of break of the song he's they've got an amazing little drum solo which I've tried many times to, to master and I haven't quite um and to be able to get it that clean and that in sync Oh, I'm just, I don't know, I'm blown away. So we've got, you know, a month of, of lockdown potentially. I think you should put up on your Instagram drum solo <laughs> in four weeks, right? <laughs> All right, that's the deal. Okay, I'm going to do okay. it. I've got, I've got nothing else to do, so I'm going to get on it. <laughs> um, no, and you mentioned, yeah, the walking bass line as, as well. So it kind of uses that 12-bar blues progression, which is so well known. But actually, you know, he was quite influential. And along with Alfred Ellis, who wrote the track as well, you know, they were influential in slightly changing that genre. And like you say as well, really bringing it to the masses. And I think it's just, as I say, I've mentioned that word infectious. You can't help but move when you listen to his music. And I, I can totally see why it cheers you up whenever you listen to it. Does it remind you of a specific moment or is it just that song in general for you? I think I think it reminds me of the first time I hit a drum kit because that was the after my my teacher saw me um, enjoy it. So I'd have been about I don't know fifteen or something like that time. He was like, "I think you're going to love this music," and just started playing it. And I remember just being in this little drum studio and just being like, "Oh my god, like this is amazing!" And then when I'm home and Mum's like pulling out um, some of those records, so it kind of just I don't know. It takes me back to kind of that first time of understanding like not just hearing the music, but being able to get involved in your own way, playing, expressing and feeling it. So, um, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever, I'll ever get bored of listening to James Brown and that whole soul era as well. Yeah, I agree. So good. Um, okay. So let's talk about, you know, we mentioned as well earlier what you'd listen to, to kind of get ready to go out and, and play cricket. Obviously this is your, you've chosen like a gym kind of hype song. Um, Notorious B. Mm. Talk to me about this and, and why this song for you. I mean, it is, it's, he's, you know, one of the best rap artists of all time, but tell me for you what it means. Yeah, I think, I think rap music, um, I don't know about you, whether you had like a, not a rebellious side, but you kind of, as you were getting into your teens, you were starting to listen to songs, whether it's, for some it's rock, for some it's like hip hop, something a little bit edgier and uh, maybe a little bit naughty in terms of lyrics and stuff like that. So being a sort of a teenager and then starting to get into my performance, I was always looking for music that... Um, I don't know. It made me feel a little bit uh, rebellious in a way, that sort of extra edge. And that was the kind of energy I like to take out as an opening batter. So, you know, you're the first person to walk out and you've got to front up regardless of nerves. So you needed a song that, 
I don't know, just kind of got you in that zone and made you feel a little bit like a, you had a superpower. And so uh, Notorious Big, I mean, Notorious B.I.G., Biggie, some call him, um, was always a go-to for that sort of emotion. I even played it first thing if I was going in for a heavyweight session in the gym or first thing if you're getting ready to to go out for a, to face up and you're a little bit nervous and you needed to feel a bit superpower. So for me, that sort of rap era, there was him, there was people like Tupac, um, Common, were artists that I got into um, during that sort of phase of my life of almost becoming becoming a new human being, like you're breaking away from your parents, um, ideals of who you are, and you're trying to sort of create a new identity for yourself. And that's what I loved about hip hop music is it was there was a bit of a movement about identity and, and um, yeah, expression. I loved it. That's such a good way of, you know, explaining what that song means to you. I think we should have a, have a listen to some of it. I couldn't have put it better myself. Let's have a listen to uh, Hypnotize. This is Notorious B.I.G. Oh, man. So good. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm in a nightclub right now. <laughs> it's the first time in a while that we've been in a nightclub as well. God, exactly. Too long. Um, yeah, such a hypnotized, such a good track. This is from the album Life After Death. It features vocals from Pamela Long, released in 1997. Which also, to me, you know, actually, I was thinking as well. James Brown passed away in 2006, I think it was, and this was released in 1997. Mm. It doesn't feel like that long ago, and and also he's someone who you know was lost far too early and I I just do you ever wonder what he would have done with his career you know had he had so many more years oh man he would have I mean he was like you say him and Tupac both kind of um had a similar fate but they were I mean world dominators also Mm -hmm. coming from communities that weren't necessarily represented to blow a whole industry up and into the mainstream in such a way that they did that I think if they were still going now there'd be I don't think there's words beyond legacy that um, sort of stand out. The other thing I like about a lot of the hip hop music is they use so many samples from, you know, so actually they've taken lots of James Brown and Aretha songs and, you know, some of the temptations, all these sort of songs, and they've turned them into samples. So what they kind of did in a way as well is kick that generation of music forward and then put their own new musical twist on it. Um, so I'd love to have imagined if he was still alive now, some of the amazing music he'd been creating. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned, yeah, like when they sample things, that song in particular sampled a beat from Herb Albert's song Rise, which was from 1979. So just like you've mentioned, you know, bringing that music to the forefront and also often something that I definitely find having sort of spent time performing in the classical world is that sometimes that's seen as um, in the classical genre, like it's it's seen as negative to kind of use that cross genre or to use other the elements of people's music and and that's why I love you know um R&B and and rap and all these soul funk all those different genres because they're not afraid to be inspired by Mm. other artists and and sort of use that to empower themselves and I think that is something that's really unique um to kind of these massive artists that did that so well and it, it can be done in an obvious way but it can also be done in a subtle way and I think you know that's something that is so inspirational (laughs) <laughs> to feel like, you know, the kind of a collaboration of artists yeah. coming together can be really exciting, especially now. It does, break, it does break my heart, though, when there's a song that, so a modern song that you think is, you know, new and completely fresh. So, for example, I only learned about Steely Dan um, 
I don't know, a year or so ago. That, I mean, I should have heard of them before. I've heard of them, but I didn't know their music. And then when you start to listen to a lot of hip hop, I was like, oh, that wasn't original. I thought that was completely original. But what I do like overall is the creativity. It's, um, it's playing around and bringing and fusing things together to make a unique way. To me, uh, you know, I think overall it's fun. And like you say, for some it might be taboo. Uh, but equally, I think that's why sometimes the younger generation love that sort of stuff because it's just being, you know, expressive and as creative as you possibly can. Definitely. And I, I you know what you say, yeah, taboo as well. I, I made that mistake myself when like my husband, Harry, would be like, I love this song from, and then he'd name a film. I'm like, it's not from that. It's it's by Beethoven. <laughs> and I get really frustrated. And he was like, yeah, but at least I'm listening to it and I've heard it, you know, and I was like, actually, that's completely true. Who cares how you discover music if you love it? and it's a new sound then that's exciting isn't it exactly exactly and it brings different generations through and it it marries people and actually sometimes you know it, it brings different people slightly different influences to to listen to a new type of music because it's kind of crossing them into thinking about other things so like, I, I say you know I love it I do love it um you know I still love purity you know and sometimes you listen to certain types of jazz and fusing chairs and you know it's it's just got to be its own thing but you know, music like hip hop, you can go where you want. I love it. Definitely. Let's talk about um, this next song and in talking about the reggae genre song from your childhood. I didn't know this song before I knew that you'd chosen it as one of your choices today. So um, tell me about Girly Girly by Sophia George. This is so good. I love this. Yeah, this is an old school. When I say old school, I mean, I don't know what year it would be, but it would definitely be, it must be 80s, maybe even 70s. Yeah, uh, 86. Um, it, 86. It, oh, is it 86, yeah. is it? Yeah. So this, and I was born 83, so that makes sense, is that I just, my mum used to, I mean, reggae, you kind of do the whining dances and you're getting down and stuff. And I just had memories of mum, um, you know, we used to do the, I don't, you'd sit on the floor and the whole family would like do this sort of marching thing. I don't know what we were doing, but this song would always be our go-to. And it's, um, it's a type of reggae as well. You know, we hear sort of Bob Marley type reggae, which is, you know, a little bit more mainstream. Um, but girly, girly, this song is, is a little bit more what I suppose you'd hear more specifically in the Caribbean. And it kind of, I think it helped me root my, uh, heritage as a sort of British kid, but also having that West Indian influence. I think this song just kind of always takes me back to that sort of genre. So it's um, it's a fun song. It's a jovial song. And I think um, a lot of people love it. And do you think, you know, in terms of that style of music as well, there is often this kind of really repetitive kind of cycle of a beat and then you've got the lyrics over the top and and it's something that also I'd say is really kind of easy to sing along to and to move to do you think when you're listening to it does it become more about you know the the people in the room and and the like you're saying you know the fact that you were dancing or whatever you were doing does it become more about that or are the lyrics just as important yeah, I think the the lyrics are just important for me um, with reggae music. So there's a, tends to be this beat, it's called the one drop. So um, in some ways it's quite simple, but it's very different. There's a lot of triplets in the music. And um, I think because it just keeps kind of going around and around, you just, everybody just sort of builds the energy over the top and then the, the lyrics kind of lilt over the top, I would say. Um, so you're right, it is about energy. It's about people. It's about dancing. It's about culture it's kind of happy it's just a happy go lucky kind of vibe so um this song yeah it roots a lot of different emotions for me but happiness and being with other people 
and sort of like I was saying, doing all your dance moves and getting into it. That's kind of what it it feels like for me. Yeah, and actually, so much of you know what a lot of us are really missing right now. Um, so let's let's imagine that we're yeah you're there you know in your childhood dancing around, and let's have a little listen to some of Girly Girly by Sophia George. <laughs> Sorry, I had to jump in on that. <laughs> I love it. Sorry, I cannot sing like you, unfortunately, Laura. I didn't have that gene. You don't have to apologise. I can't play the drums to save my life. So there you go. <laughs> um, the, Between the two of us, we'll make some dodgy bands. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, exactly. <laughs> but they're like, that, you hear that kind of, um, it's a really interesting reverb as well. So like the sort of echo on the, on the vocal, I always find is very mm. unique in that kind of music as well. And I feel like it's almost like... Um, I don't know what it is if it's like they're almost shouting to so many more people than would be in a recording studio or I don't know what it is. It just sounds like it's big. Yeah, it's it's giving that sort of club vibe. I think there's always, yeah, I think there's always that sort of club vibe. So in the West Indies, you know, people are always playing music loud, whether you go to a little beach bar or whether you're at a nightclub or if you're in the house. So that sort of reverb, I think, is to give it that sort of club feel. Like there's loads of us and we're you know, this has got to be spread and, and that sort of vibe. Um, you know, I wish if I could, I need to drill into a little bit more of the detail, but, um, that's what it just makes you feel. But that song, oh man, like just hearing it there, uh, it takes me back. Does it, does it bring back like, yeah, like you were saying, sort of dancing around with, with friends and family? Yeah. And also like the dancing as well, it's just like free. So, everyone would it's not sort of I don't know strict sort of dancing is actually dancing where you'd mostly be silly and you know you'd you'd be dancing in weird ways or whatever it is it's just to to fully just be expressive and just spend time with people there'll be a, usually as well the adults when I was a kid would have been on a couple of rums then and as I've got older I've I've joined in so I would not be playing that song now without a good old rum punch or something going nice. on as well <laughs> um we should mention so yeah so as I said released 1986 um a song was written by Sanjay Davis who also co-wrote some of Bob Marley's music um and what I found really interesting when I was reading about this music is at the time of the release Sophia George was working as a teacher for deaf people and so this was sort of a you know this I think has been her sort of one hit not one hit wonder but the the song that mm. you know became internationally known um compared to some of her other mm. music and I just I think it's yeah for me as well not knowing that piece of music before it you can hear that it does sound iconic and it does just take you back to sort of a very um it just conjures up a real strong memory I think uh, even if you're someone who you know doesn't necessarily know or listen to that kind of music and I just you know for me I listen to jazz a lot of the time and you can hear those elements in that in that track and it's just it's just a joy to listen to I feel like all of your choices today as well I just smile through them that's what happens I can't help it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah a lot of that music is just most of the time it's just got to lift your mood right it's got to lift your mood exactly How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The moments that made me with me, Roxy Nafusi, is back. And Series 2 has got some incredible guests lined up. Here is a little taster. People see mental illness as a weakness, but I think people with mental illness are stronger. I'm a proud gay man now. I feel proud every single day. So then I had to go about the task of trying to accept it because I wasn't going to get plastic surgery and I wasn't going to change it. You know, those moments in your life, it was like a thunderbolt. Was it really? A big time. The conversations I've been having have blown my mind and I cannot wait for you guys to hear what's to come. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss one of our amazing episodes. They will be out every Wednesday morning. That's The Moments That Made Me with me, Roxy Nafusi. Find it wherever you found this podcast. Actually, yeah, you know, this this last choice of yours is something, it's a song for tough times. Is it, you know, this Jill mm. Scott song uh, is uh, sort of, you know, we're coming more into the, the modern, you know, released 2011. But tell me, tell me about this song. How did you discover it? Was it something that came about during a really tough mm. time for you personally? Yeah, so Jill Scott overall is most probably my, I would say, arguably my number one pick of an artist um, of all time. Um, even though there's many greats and stuff, I don't know, her music, um, Neo Soul, so that kind of, I guess, that fusion of old school jazz, which she then brings into modern soul, and it's kind of like right in my lane. And um, what what I love about this song, so when you're in tough times, I think it's always easy to forget um, to feel like gratitude and grateful for what you do have. Um, and so what this song does for me is whenever you're feeling bad and I've got like a little playlist, um, and I listen to this, it always reminds me of how lucky we are to have something. So even if, you know, we've recently lost someone, this sort of song still says, well, we're blessed to have had them in our life or, um, you know, if, if, uh, you know, jobs or something like that, which, you know, we all go through our cycles of frustrating or tough times, if you can find that emotion and capture it 
it brings it. And there's some sort of like just some of the instruments as well. It just, I don't know the way they put it together. It just kind of slowly lifts me out of a bad place. So it's one of my favorites from one of my favorite artists of all time. I love that. Let's have a listen to this now. This is Jill Scott's Blessed. Daddy on my left, my son, father doing his absolute. I'm so blessed, 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 blessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so singing that song. <laughs> I didn't want to blow your brain this time, but oh, I'd like I you to. You, yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> that would be a shocker. I was, I was just gonna say, I um, it was her twentieth uh, anniversary of her first album, and I was booked in to see her at the O2, but lockdown no. got in the way, which I'm absolutely gutted about. Oh man, that's uh, so But fast. she is, I don't know if you listen to Jill Scott, but I think you would enjoy a lot of her music. It's just kind of a oh, beautiful fusion of a bit of old school and a bit of new school and then just such a soulful voice as well. Yeah, and I, I actually feel like there's, you know, Amy Winehouse elements in terms of the way she Mm. kind of does licks and tricks with her voice it's it's kind of there's that similar sort of jaunty sound between between each note that she sings and I I love that kind of singing I love that kind of performance and I love also that this is a song for tough times but it, as you say you found a way to find something uplifting and I think just like you've mentioned you know it can be really hard to find that especially at the moment so it must be really nice for you to have that that playlist. Is that something that you would suggest for people as well who perhaps are, you know, struggling at times? Do you think it's good to have a little playlist of music that really can make you sort of be okay with things and slowly, as you say, lift you out of that place? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with how I set up my life. So I'm going to make you sound like I'm a bit of a weirdo right now but um I've got a Sonos so which obviously is uh you can control it by Alexa and have all these different and I've got playlists which take me through different parts of my day so waking up is quite hard so I have um some set songs which can kind of get me out of bed then once I'm out of bed I have a sort of like a meditation playlist kind of yoga vibe which just calms me out then my gym playlist kicks in like I time my playlist in my house for different times to get me into different places because I realize how important it is so every day I have you know it'll it'll peak, uh, come on at a certain time that gets me to do a certain thing and um, I think you know creating playlists especially for knowing ahead for tough times I've got some John Legend songs on my tough times playlist some Mary J Blige if you if you're depressed I've had breakups where Mary J Blige is the one to go to you need a Whitney and Mary J <laughs> um, type playlist for those days you know I, I've, I create them because I know in that moment, you just want to go on and press play and not um, not have to overthink and just know it's going to take you through what you need to be taken through. So this song for me, it will most probably repeat now a fair bit, just while you're at home and anytime you're feeling a little bit, why are we not able to do or have the opportunities that we were before, just kind of remind myself why I'm blessed. So yeah, that song means so much to me. And in terms of, you know, talking about playlists there and, and taking you through your day and different moods and different feelings, do you miss, you know, having live music in your life as well? Yeah. So I actually went, I was at the Javs Cafe. My friend's Richard Spaven. He's an amazing drummer, um, incredible drummer. He's done everything from jazz to tra- toured around the world with amazing bands. So he snuck in, um, uh, the last one was at the 31st. So that would have been Saturday. And I went to his show and I was just like, I was blown away that 
you know, I'm I'm usually, I'm at the Jazz Cafe, like many shows, you know, a couple of times a month, three times a month normally. And to just go back and and see it and hear it. And he had an amazing artist called Jordan Rakai singing, who's got a beautiful voice. He's from New Zealand. Um, Over, they kind of do a sort of a hip hop-y vibe kind of thing. It's very unique style. Um, And it just... It just made me realise that's something I'm going to so miss. I've only seen one live show this year where I'd normally have been to loads. And um, live music, oh, it means so much to me because you can, you know, you're just there and you're feeling it and you're hearing it. And, um, you know, sometimes they ad-lib a bit and it's just beautiful. So I'm gutted. That was the last show and I managed to sneak it in before round two of lockdown. Yeah, it is tough. And I agree with you. Like you say, you know, there's things that happen in a live concert that you don't hear on a recording. And, and those things are in that moment. And it's a memory at that time that then will stay with you forever. And it's unique. And I think, personally, that's what I love about live music is that even if it's um, not even, you know, it might be a mistake, or it might be something that goes right, you know, so much Mm. better than a recording, but it's just it's unique for those people that are there at that time. And I think that's something that is very human as well to want is those experiences. And I think that, yeah, I agree. That's what, um, I think that's what I'll miss most, uh, in the upcoming weeks. But as you've mentioned, you know, playlisting and, and creating that environment for yourself as much as we can at the moment as well is, is the best scenario, I guess. Um, so I think that, I think that's a great idea. I think we should all take a bit of advice from you and I'm going to create some playlists. So. <laughs> Make them and play them. Get them. Get them on the rounds. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um. So this is the point where I make a song suggestion for you, and I, I've tried. To, oh, I, I know. Don't. I've tried to kind of bring in different genres of you know things that we've talked about already today, and and hopefully it's something that you will like. You might know it already. You might not. But I've gone with um a song that was released actually this year. Um, it's a Gregory Porter song, and it's from his album Spiritual Songs. It's called Revival, and. I chose him because personally for me as well, I remember um, he was performing at the VE Day celebrations in 2015 and I was there listening to his sound check because I was performing and I sat there with my mum and I remember we just sat there and I closed my eyes and I was just in awe of this man's voice and then when I opened my eyes, I had like tears rolling down my cheeks and it was just that sort of thing that music can give you and it just created this emotion that I didn't really have control over but it was just so beautiful to listen um and I think you know he's won a Grammy or two Grammys in fact for his albums Liquid Spirit and Take Me to the Alley and I I just it's blues it's jazz it's soul you know there's a bit of gospel in there but I chose this one because I felt also released this year it's sort of reflective of the time that we're in um so I know there's a lot of old music we've talked about but I thought this was a bit of a new take on on some of the stuff that we've mentioned already so we'll have a listen to it and you can let me know if I've um, completely, you know. <laughs> Here we go. This is, right, I'm ready. Let's this is Revival, it. Gregory Porter. Oh, he's got a really interesting tone to his voice, hasn't he? Yeah, really amazing. Like I, I can't even describe it. And also I think 
you know, he didn't start out by being a singer. He went, you know, he went on a full athletic scholarship to um, San Diego State University and then he got injured. And so I feel like he's kind of come from the opposite way round to some people mm. and, and music and sport isn't often associated but I feel like you're someone who epitomizes that in the sense that you've been a professional athlete but you also have this you know really passionate love for, for music so I guess that was a bit of a coincidence as well yeah I'm gonna have to give that one a listen because as soon as I heard him come on I just thought that tone in his voice was just quite unique actually and then the, the song had a bit of uplifting vibe to it as well so I'm gonna I'm gonna delve, delve in you've done all right there I wasn't sure where we were gonna go actually but you've, um, you've done so <laughs> I wasn't sure if that could have been the end of our friendship we knew. <laughs> so, well it might be I don't know we'll find out won't we <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. well listen Ebony thank you so much for your time I look forward to hearing that drum solo as well the James Brown solo on uh, Instagram at some point soon um, won't let you get away with that but you're you know it's <laughs> nice to talk to someone who is clearly so passionate about music and really interesting stories as well so thank you so so much no worries and thanks so much for having me on I really appreciate it I really hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and I'd love to hear about your favourite piece of music. So make sure you pop a comment on Apple reviews with your song choice and the story behind it. I'm going to be reading out some of your stories in an upcoming minisode. Also, we've now put our guest song choices in the show notes. So if you want to hear any of their songs again, you can find them there. Thanks so much, guys, and see you next time. 